Welcome back to the Pops Podcast. This week, Aji is back to finish his series on faith, hope, and love. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. So today we're going to continue what we've been talking about. We started the book of Colossians a couple of weeks ago, and we've been on Colossians 1, 4 to 5 for the past probably four sessions. And the Lord paused us because we saw certain things that Paul got happy about. When Paul gets happy, you got to get happy with him. And you got to say, why is this man happy? He was happy about three things. Faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. We've already talked about faith. We've talked about love. Tonight, we're going to talk about hope. So Paul has been effusive in his prayers and thanksgiving to God in the opening of his letter to the Colossians. In verses 4 and 5 of chapter 1, he outlined the reason why he has been prayerful and thankful. Let's find out what those reasons are. Colossians 1 verses 4 to 5. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. I want you to notice something. Hope. He said that hope is in the word of the truth of the gospel. Hope is in the word of the truth of the gospel. If your hope is not in the word of the truth of the gospel, it's not hope. The true hope, the God kind of hope, comes from the word of God. Because if it's based on anything else, it's on shaky ground. Keep that in mind. So the primary reason why Paul has been effusive in his prayer and thanksgiving to God in the opening of his letter to the Colossians, was because of the demonstration and the maturation of faith, love, and hope in the Colossians church. And faith, love, and hope in a believer's life are the three key foundational metrics that Paul often uses as a measurement of a true believer in Christ. Many often say they are Christians. Estimates from 2021 suggest that of the entire U.S. population, 63% is Christian. But how many are truly Christians? If you were to ask Paul that, Paul would say, how many truly demonstrate faith, love, and hope in their Christian work and practice? And I'd like to ask you that tonight. Are you working in faith, hope, and love? When we are talking about faith, we are talking about God's covenant promises. Are you working on what God has said in his word? Are you loving your neighbor? Are you loving other saints in Christ? Are you loving your enemies? We are required, and we studied this last time, to walk in love. Critical. Personally, I think in the state of the condition we are in the, that we are in the United States, 63% of the country is definitely not walking in faith and love. Because if 63% of Americans are walking in faith, hope, and love, we will have a very loving country, and we won't be in the mess we are in right now. So I really believe this message is very timely. We believers, we who are truly ambassadors of Christ, must spread faith, hope, and love everywhere we go. That is our fragrance, our emblem. And you see this, that Paul, these three metrics are so important that Paul constant, constantly we review them in all the churches he wrote to. In all the churches, you see it. For example, in, to the Thessalonians, which is another church. We are in Colossians, but you see what he said the same to the Thessalonians. Thessalonians 1.3. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patient hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father. In another speech to the Thessalonians, Thessalonians 
5.8. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. To the Corinthians church, 1 Corinthians 13.13. Notice the mention again. So now abide faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest is love. Then to the Colossians, to the Corinthians, he said it a second time. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of this is love. And this is why we are paying attention because we could have glossed over this. And we could be in chapter 2 of Colossians right now. But how could we gloss over faith, hope, and love if it's so impactful in our lives? If it will change our life? If it will change our city? If it will change our communities, our family, and our country? And that's why we have decided to sit on it and kind of embrace it and see how the Lord could use it in our lives. I want you to notice 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And this is why we are studying this. He said these three things, these three metrics, faith, hope, and love will last forever. You know what that means? When we leave this earth and our body is buried and you appear in heaven, guess what? You will still be studying faith, hope, and love. You will still be walking in faith, hope, and love. And those that have not yet known faith and love, they will go to back to the elementary school. I believe there will be a university in heaven. A basic class, you got to go study faith, hope, and love because you didn't walk on it all your life. Go back. But we that have heard it and walking in it, God will have something else for us to do because we're, these are mandatory. It will last forever. It is eternal, eternal, and transcendental. A billion years from today, we'll still be studying faith, hope, and love in heaven. That's how important it is. And that's why we have taken time to look at this. Paul stated in the book of Corinthians that the greatest of these three is love. So we must walk in love. Why? Because God is love. God is not only a description of God. Love is not just a trait of God. God himself is love. In fact, everywhere you see God, you can put love there. However, faith comes first. Why? Because faith deals with the covenant promises of God and the content of our salvation. Our faith started when we accepted Christ as Savior and Lord. When he purchased us through the shedding of his blood at Calvary. Paul was thankful to the college. Thankful to God that the Colossians have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and not in any other competing religion of those days, particularly Gnosticism. So faith comes first. You know what comes second? Love. Love has to do with the character and temperament of our salvation. Because when you accept Christ, the love of God is formed in you. Then you could walk in love. Because the God requirement of agape love, unconditional love, a man cannot live it without the help of the Holy Spirit. That is why you cannot find true love in the world. You only find quid pro quo in the world. Scratch my back, I scratch your back. Invite me to a party, I will invite you back. Give me a Christmas card, I will give you back. We are beyond that. We don't practice that kind of love. Our kind of love is agape love, unconditional love. The love that keeps we keep on giving and giving and giving and giving and giving without acknowledgement of what the other is doing. That is the love. The love that died for us while we are yet sinners and enemies of God. That is the kind of love God wants us to walk in. So faith comes first. Love is the second. But guess what's the third one? The third one is what we are going to look at tonight. Hope. Hope. And when we are talking about hope, there are, three, there are generally three, three types of hope that were discussed in the Bible. Three types of hope in the Bible. Number one is our blessed hope as believers in Christ. Our blessed hope as believers in Christ. Every believer in Christ, irrespective of their denomination, has a blessed hope in Christ. 
This is the blessed hope that all Christians look forward to. And we are very grateful for this hope. What do I mean? For example, the, re the resurrection of the righteous dead. The resurrection of the righteous dead. One day, the righteous dead, our parents, even us, we are going to raise from the grave and we are going to rise. That is a blessed hope. The rapture, when we are caught away. When we are caught away with Jesus Christ, caught up, caught up in the sky with him. The rapture and the soon return of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. That's a blessed hope. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Then the hope of the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's going to be a big party thrown in heaven. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. When Jesus Christ and the angels will, will host us after the rapture. Then there is the millennial rule of Christ. When we come back to earth with Christ and rule the earth for a thousand years with Christ. Those are blessed hope. Then the hope of going to heaven and seeing our loved ones, family and friends in heaven. That's the blessed hope. Guaranteed for every believer. And also, which is my most favorite, is our new indestructible and death-defying body. Our body will be like Christ. Those are blessed hope for every believer. That is your future. Isn't it exciting? You guys don't look like you find it exciting. <laughs> I see a lot. <laughs> Frown and grim. I hope it excites you. Because it's a part of the benefit package of a believer. And it's exciting. The second type of hope that the Bible talks about is worldly hope. Worldly hope. What is worldly hope? Worldly hope is wishful thinking. Wishful thinking and feeling. Like for example, you hear someone in the world who said, I hope I get a job of my dreams. I hope I'll be healed. I hope all my children are saved. I hope I win the lottery. Maybe you have said these words before. These words are laced with fear, trepidation, disappointment, and doubt. 50-50, it might happen, it might not. I don't know how you're saying, you know, who knows? Only God knows. We don't know. But look at Ephesians 2.12. Ephesians 2.12 clarifies the worldly hope for us. In those days, you are living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. And you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. So what is the definition of worldly hope? Worldly hope is living apart from Christ and without God. Worldly hope is living apart from Christ and without God. It's all wishful thinking. I wish this, I wish that. I don't know what's going to happen, but I wish it happens. But the third hope is where we're going to focus tonight. That's where we're going to spend the rest of our time. Because that's the one that truly relates to us. Biblical hope. Biblical hope. What is biblical hope? Biblical hope is the joyful and confident expectation that God will do exactly what he has promised us in Christ. It's not like, oh, I hope I get healed. I don't know. I might die. I might live. I don't know. It's knowing, you know what? God said by his stripes I am healed. Guess what? I'm going to be healed because it was said in the word. He's saying, well, you know what? I don't know. My finances might not be in the, blessed, in the best place right now. I might not have a job right now. But guess what? The Lord said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That is good as money in the bank. Good as money in the bank is better than the Pope and the Queen of England telling you they will give you something. When God says it, consider it done. Go and sleep. Rest in peace. Just lay yourself down. So when we are talking about godly hope, we are talking about hope that is based on the covenant promises that Jesus Christ shed his blood for. Let's look at a couple of scriptures. 2 Corinthians 1.20. 2 Corinthians 1.20 in the Amplified said, For as many 
as are the promises of God in Christ, they are all answered. Past tense. Yes. They are all answered yes. So through him we say amen to the glory of God. All the promises are answered yes and amen. That means it is a done deal. We already know the outcome. All the promises of God to you and to you and to you and to me is yes. Amen. Look at Hebrews, Hebrews 6.18. Hebrews 16 says, Hebrews 6.18 says, So God has given both his promise and his hope. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him, God, for refuge, can have great confidence. As we hold to the hope that lies before us. You see, the reason why you could hold on to the hope you have is God has given both his promise and his oath. And those two things are unchangeable. God is already a man of integrity. But in this case, his promises, he gave not only his promise, but his oath. And these, things, these two things are unchangeable. And that is why Paul in Philippians 1.20, Paul said, it is my own eager expectation and hope that looking toward the future, I will not disgrace myself nor be ashamed in anything. I will not disgrace myself nor be ashamed in anything. My hope will not be dashed. Paul is saying, I know because God has given both his promise and his hope, I could take my life that my future is bright. And that is why tonight, as you are sitting here, I don't know what cloud is over your head. I don't know where there is doubt. I don't know where there is sadness. I don't know where there is some discomfort. Maybe in your body, maybe in the family, maybe at work, maybe with a friend, maybe with your children. Go get some hope. Find some true scripture and begin to declare it. Let your hope be in the covenant promises of God, not on anything else. But tonight, I want to introduce a paradigm shift in the way you look at hope. In fact, I want you to start looking at hope in the way I'm, in the way I'm going to present it now. I'm going to shift your mindset, your thought process, your paradigm, and start looking at hope from a different angle. And you'll never forget this because I'm going to use a very powerful analogy. Hope is the thermostat. Hope is the thermostat. Let's say that together. Hope is the thermostat. Okay? You might say, Aju, what do you, what do you mean by that? Just spare me a couple of minutes, we'll break it down. But let's look at Hebrews 11.1. 1. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Hope, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Not seen. New Living Translation says, Faith is the reality of things hoped for. So you start to see a connection between faith and hope. They are partners, they are twins. Look at Amplified Classic of that same scripture. Now faith is the assurance, the title deed, the confirmation of things hoped for. You see the importance of hope. Hope is waiting for faith. Faith is waiting on hope. If you don't have hope, there's nothing to look forward to. You see, now faith is the assurance, the title deed, the confirmation of things hoped for, divinely guaranteed, and the evidence of things not seen, the conviction of their reality, faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. Hope is the thermostat and the goal setter. Hope, your hope, is the thermostat and the goal setter. And one of the things I would like you to do as you leave this place today, I would like you to reignite your hope. Because right now, 
The world we are living in, people are living hopelessly. Suicide rate is at the highest. Depression is at the highest. Divorce is at the highest. Bankruptcy is at the highest. Why? Because people are getting more hopeless by the day. Some people say you don't get anything by hoping. And that's true to a certain extent, but hope is a very important partner to faith. So let me give you an example of how the born-again human spirit works. Your spirit that God redeemed when you accepted Christ. Think about your home right now. Let's pretend we are in the middle of summer. It's 100 degrees outside, and you want the temperature to be 70 degrees inside. What do you do? You go to your thermostat, and what do you do? You turn it to 70. As long as it's kept to 70 degrees, the heating and cooling unit, probably in your basement or outside, will work until the house becomes cool enough to 70 degrees. You see, the heater, the heater and the air conditioning unit is designed to produce what you have dialed into the gold setter or thermostat. Are you with me? I want you to follow me. That heat and cooling unit will not work by itself. But the moment you set the thermostat to 70, you don't have to pray, you don't have to fast, you don't have to sing a hymn and a dance. That heating unit begins to turn the house temperature down to 70. Similarly, your human spirit, or you could call it your heart, we're not talking about the blood-pumping heart, we are talking about your human spirit that God redeemed, where the Holy Spirit lives, in your spirit, man. It's like that heater, like that, it's like that cooling unit. And that cooling unit is waiting for the thermostat to be set, so your heart is waiting for your hope. You get it? So what do you want today? What do you desire? What is your hope? You see, your heart is waiting for hope, to bring your hope about into reality. Are you with me, brothers? I want you to get this, because if you get this, this will change your life. You see, hope is partner to faith. For example, when someone is sick, they go to a healing service, or a prayer partner at church, they hope to be healed. If they didn't have hope, they will not have come for prayer. Since faith is the substance, the reality, the assurance, and the title things, title deeds of their healing that they are desiring, hope is the goal. Healing is the goal. They are hoping to be healed. And that's why sometimes you wonder, you know what? That person, they died. Why did they die? You know what I found out? And I've been a prayer partner for over 40 years. People begin to lose hope. They might tell you, pray for them openly, but then go into the room and tell God, Father, I think this sickness is going to kill me. I'm ready to come home. They begin to change what they are saying. They lose hope. You see, your hope is important. Everything you are involved in, begin to look at it. Your marriage. What is the hope for your marriage? What is the hope for you financially? What is the hope for your children? Critical. Very important that your hope is alive. In fact, I tell people, get your hopes up. Get your hopes up. God wants you to have hope. Without hope, people perish. People lack. People struggle. People die. You might say, IG, now I'm getting it. Hope is the thermostat. I go to the wall, I turn it, the house cools down. Or maybe in the winter, in a couple of months, I dial it. Maybe it's 10 degrees outside. I want it to be a comfortable ceremony inside. I dial it to ceremony. It gets warmer inside. But how do you set the goal, though, spiritually? Because we are using this as an analogy. How do you set the goal for your life? How do you set your hope? I'm going to show you how to do that. You set the goal by speaking the word of God related to your situation. That is how you turn the dial. 
You set the goal by speaking and taking the word of God. So like the thermostat on the wall, your spoken word sends an impulse. Just like that thermostat sends an impulse to the heating and cooling unit, the hope sets an impulse to your spirit to say, begin to work on this. Begin to work on this goal. Change this person's life. He doesn't want to be sick anymore. He doesn't want to die of cancer like his dad. He's not going to die of cancer. He's believing differently. So you begin to say something like this, Isaiah 53, 5. Jesus Christ was wounded for my transgression. He was bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement for my peace was upon him. And by his stripes I am healed. In the name of Jesus Christ, by his stripes I am healed. I am redeemed from the curse of the law. I forbid sickness. I forbid cancer. I forbid this condition in my body. I command it to go. And you stick with that. You've set the goal. You've just set the thermostat. Guess what? Your spirit and the Holy Spirit in you begin to work on healing. From the moment you said that, you begin to get healed. You never change. You might go to see doctor and say, well, you know what? We did another x-ray, but you know what? Looks like things are getting bad. You don't go like, oh, oh, I thought things would have changed. Oh, I guess I'm going to die. You never. You don't go back to the thermostat and change it. You stay on it. You say, Mr. Doctor, thank you, sir. I appreciate you. But you go home and you get a big card and you put it in your refrigerator. You put it, you go to the bathroom and you stamp it on the mirror. You go to the, to, to your car. You put it there. You put three by five card and you said by stripes, I am healed. I am healed. I am healed. I am who God says I am. I am the healed of the Lord. You don't vacillate with the weather of human opinion. You keep the thermostat set. Brothers, is this making sense? You see, the goal is to be set on removing the mountain or the tremendous problem that you are facing. You set your thermostat to eradicate the tremendous problem that you are facing. That is why Jesus Christ said in Mark eleven twenty three, Jesus was teaching us how to set the goal, how to set the thermostat. Look at Mark eleven twenty three. And I want you to count how many times Jesus used the term says, says. This is God. He's telling you how to set the thermostat, how to kick your hope up into the, into the heavens, into the skies. Watch how many times Jesus used the term say in this scripture we're about to read. For assuredly, I say to you, Mark eleven twenty three, whoever says, he's talking about setting the thermostat, whoever says to this mountain, be thou removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart. Doesn't change when the doctor says, sorry, things are not looking bad. Things are not looking good. When the, when, when, when the sister-in-law and the mother-in-law say, ah, you know what? Things are not changing. You stand firm. Jesus said, does not doubt in his heart. See, this is what separates the boys from the men. The boys will begin to whimper and say, oh, things are not changing. Once you set the thermostat, you don't go back and quit playing with it. I don't know if this heating and cooling unit is working. What do you do? You set it, you go and sit down and watch the stillers. And before you know it, it's what it's supposed to be in the house. The same thing with your human spirit. Jesus said, does not doubt in his heart, but believes, believes that those things he says, that's the second time he's saying it, says, will be done, he will have whatever he says. Whatever you set on the thermostat of your life, whatever you say, depending on that issue, depending on that mountain, shall manifest. You see, your, mind, your heart, your human spirit, 
where the Holy Spirit lives is your spiritual factory and the production center of your life. That's why you cannot just say anything. You can't join the world and say anything. You can't say things like, oh man, we're always broke. Every time we make money, the car breaks down. You can't tell your son, you know what, you're so stupid. You never amount to anything. You're just like your mom or you're just like your friend. Why can't you be like that person? You can't chew your children off because you are setting the thermostat for their life. Maybe someone has set your thermostat and that's where you are where you are today. I need to be cognizant of that. Maybe my father has set my thermostat and I believe what he said about me. Maybe he said I'm dumb, I'm stupid, I cannot amount to anything. And that thermostat was set when you were a little boy and it manifested. Because your heart does not know whether it's good or bad, he's just going to produce. Your heart will produce. It's like the soil. You put a good seed or a bad seed, it's going to grow. So your heart is always listening because the Holy Spirit lives in there. That's why you got to watch what comes out of this mouth. You can't just say anything. You can't say, I'm only joking. No, that's not joking. Because God created with his words and you are made in his image. Start to think whatever I'm saying is coming true in my life. If you know everything you are saying is coming true, won't you be more cognizant of what you say? Won't you say when you say, you're going to say, you know what? I got to watch what I'm about to say. See, this is why most of us are where you are, where we are today. What we've spoken, where we've programmed the thermostat of our heart. You see, Jesus said, you shall declare and say it three times more than you believe it. So if you are not satisfied with the harvest you are getting, check up on the goal. Check up on the thermostat where it has been set. Just begin to think, where is the thermostat of my marriage set? Where is the thermostat of my future set? Where is the thermostat for my children set? What am I believing? What am I saying? Do I need to make some adjustment? I'm going to give you the main enemy of hope. You know what the enemy of hope is? Anxiety. Anxiety. That's how the enemy snatched your hope from your life. Are you susceptible to fear and anxiety? See, that's how the enemy destroys your hope. Look at Philippians 4.6 in the Young Lintro Translation 98. Philippians 98 said, and this is God speaking, For nothing be anxious. What are you anxious about today? What keeps you up at night? What gets your blood pressure up, pumping? What worries you? What makes you fidgety? What makes you hungry? Those are the areas the enemy is using to destroy your hope. Look at Matthew 6.25. And this is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking. Be not anxious for your life. Be not. It's an order. Be not anxious for your life. And if you read that scripture from 25 to 31, the Lord said six times not to be anxious. In six verses, the Lord said, be not anxious, be not anxious, be not anxious, be not anxious, be not fear, do not fear, do not worry, be not anxious, do not worry, be not. Because why? It destroys your hope. So you got to begin thinking, what's causing my anxiety today? Is it finances? Is it family? Is it my future? Is it my job? Is it my children? But one thing that stops people from hoping is this, it takes time. It's a process. So you won't start saying something today and by tomorrow morning, voila, I'm there. I've arrived at my destination. You see, it takes time. It's a process. What we are talking about is not a fad. It is the lifestyle of a believer in Jesus Christ. Look at Hebrews 6.12. Hebrews 6.12 says, We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and what? Patience. Inherit what has been promised. You see, the enemy will tell you it has taken too long. Don't believe that African guy. You know why he just yells and shouts and spits, spits at you? He's just a big mouth. 
No, no, no. Jesus said, it's not that African guy that said it. This is the word that said it. Who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. When you set that thermostat in your house, it doesn't drop from 100 to 70 in a nanosecond. It takes some time, right? The same thing with your life. Because it involves changing our thought process. We didn't get where we are overnight. We will not get to the other side in one, in one night. It's, it's a process. Look at the worldwide English. The worldwide English translation of Hebrews 6.12. Do not give up. Brothers, look at me. Never, ever give up. Never, ever give up. Don't ever look at your condition and say, it's not changing. I give up. Never let those words come out of your mouth. Instead of saying it, pull out your scripture and declare it. Proclaim it. Do not give up, but be like the people who get what God has promised. They believe God and keep on believing for a long time. Look at Psalm 27, 14. This is David speaking. David said, wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave, not whimper, not be shy. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Look at Hebrews 6.15. Hebrews 6.15 said, Abraham waited patiently for a long time. In the end, he received what God has promised to give him. What was he waiting for? He wanted a child. Do you know when God told Abraham he was going to have a child? 75. Do you know when he had it? 100. 25 years. There was a time he and Sarah, they gave up. They gave up. They said, you know what? We don't think this is going to happen. We're getting old. Let's get the maid. Let's get Agar, man. Let's help God. They lost hope. And they got the maid. And what did that bring? Problems. And we are still having that problem today. The Palestinians and the Jews started from one person that lost hope. So there are cataclysmic consequential results when we lose hope because we make bad decisions. But God didn't forget about Abraham and Sarah because God changed their name. He did several things. He showed them the pictures of the stars in the sky. He took him to a beach and said, look at the sand. God God helped and recalibrated Abraham, and he had faith and hope again. So I hope tonight you begin to recalibrate and say, where have I gone off on a tangent? Where have I gone off from my hope, from my faith? Brothers, get your hopes up. Are you discouraged tonight? Are you in the dumps? Are you crying the blues? Are you depressed? Look at what David said. Psalm 42, 11. Look at what David said. David said, why am I discouraged? He was asking himself, why is my heart so sad? He said, I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. David found himself that on his dashboard of hope, it was starting to go to empty. He was putting his hope on something else. He said, no. Why am I being discouraged? Why am I sad? Why am I hopeless? Why am I depressed? Look at how the message Bible says it. Why are you down in the dumps, dear soul? Psalm 42, 11, the message translation. Why are you down in the dumps, dear soul? Why are you crying the blues? Fix my eyes on God. Soon I'll be praising him again. He puts a smile on my face. He's my God. So what am I telling you, brother? Get your hopes up. You see, the world tells you, oh, you know what? You better don't get your hopes too high. You know what, the, you know what God is saying? Get your hopes, jack it up, skyrocket it. Let it take off like a rocket. And you might say, IG, how do you know that? How do you know that, uh, you know, I should get my hopes up? Well, let's look at what God says about hope. Let's look at what he says about hope. Look at Isaiah 40, 31. Isaiah 40, 31 says, But those who wait for the Lord, who expect, who look for, 
and hope in him shall change and renew their strength and power. They shall leave their wings and mount up close to God as eagles. They shall mount up to the sun. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint or become tired. Just from hope. He said, your hope will draw you nearer to God. It will heal your body. You will become stronger. That would be a good scripture to, to meditate on maybe for the next few days. Look at what else God says about hope. Jeremiah 29, 11. This is God telling you how he feels about you getting your hopes up. Get it up, get it up, get your hopes up. Look at what he's saying in Jeremiah 29, 11. I will bless you with a future filled with hope. A future of success, not of suffering. That is God's opinion. God wants to give you a future filled with hope. I don't care what your age is tonight. You're 20, you're 30, you're 40, you're 50, you're 60, you're 70, the, you're 80, and the enemy start chopping your hair. You know what? You better start planning your funeral. You're not going to live any longer. You're not going to live much longer. You're going to be broke. You're not going to have enough. Social security is not going to be enough. Ba 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 ba. And the enemy will start chopping all those things. You better set your hopes high. Turn the thermostat to where you want it based on the word of God and don't listen to the devil. Look at Romans 15, 13. And I love Romans 15, 13. It says, now may the God of hope, and I love that. God is a God of hope. When you are hopeless, go to the God of hope. And what will he do? He will fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. If your hope is tanking, go to God. And I want you to see that scripture. He said, he will fill you with all joy and peace. You see, joy and peace follows hope. Sadness and depression follows hopelessness. And look at Ephesians 3.20. I love Ephesians 3.20. He said, now to him who is able to carry out his purpose and do super abundantly more than all we dare ask or think, infinitely beyond our greatest prayers, hopes, or dreams. That is God's opinion. He wants to surpass and exceed your goals, your thermostat. He wants to do more, but he wants you to have hope in him according to his power that is at work within us. So we're going to look at a couple of examples real quick as we begin to wrap up tonight. A couple of examples of people that were in dire situation and they cranked their hope up and their hope went through the roof and things changed. Let's look at Abraham. We've talked about Abraham already. Romans 4, 17 to 21. Romans 4, 17 to 21. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him who he believed, even God. That was the promise given to Abraham. Who quickened the dead and colored those things which be not as though they were, who against, against hope, who against hope, that's worldly hope, against hope, believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his body, his own body, now dead, when he was about an hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. You see, people will tell you, give up hope and die. Like Job's wife. Job's wife told him when Job was sick, terribly sick, he said, God is not going to deliver you. Why don't you just give up and die? What a wife. What a wife. Maybe someone is telling you that today. You won't make it. You know what? You know what Wikipedia says? You know what the internet says? Ten out of people that have that sickness die. Who do you think you are? You're not going to make it. You see, 
Abraham was in a place where things were not happening. But he went to the word of God and he got hope. And guess what? He got what God promised. What about the woman with the issue of blood? And I don't have the scripture for that here. The woman with the issue of blood. Here is this woman who used to be very wealthy at some point. She contracted a disease that blood was flowing out of her. She became an outcast. Someone that was social elite became an outcast. But guess what? She was hopeless. But guess what? She heard about Jesus. She heard about Jesus. You know when she heard about Jesus? She said the thermostat. How did she say it? If I could but touch the helm of his garment, I'll be healed. And she began to say that. If I could touch the helm of his garment, I'll be healed. If, if she stopped she stops, she stops saying, oh my God, the doctor, said, the doctor said I'm going to die. I have lost all my money. I am broke. She stopped saying, oh my God, this thing is going to kill me. For 12 years, blood. She has to use bunches of cloth to drain the blood every day. But she heard about Jesus and she said the thermostat. If I could but touch the helm of his garment, I would be healed. If I could but touch the helm of his garment, I would be healed. If I could but touch the helm of his garment, I would be healed. So you need to change what you are saying. You need to reset your thermostat tonight. Recalibrate. Put it where it ought to be. And that woman touched the hem of his garment and Jesus noticed. You know what? Jesus is waiting for what you are saying. Jesus is saying, where is he going to set his thermostat? He's waiting. Is he going to keep saying that rubbish he's been saying for, for decades? Is he going to start saying something else? Is he going to start recalibrating? And we'll read about David and we'll close tonight. I love this story because there's no other story that demonstrates hopelessness that turned to hope that turned to victory. Let's read. I will read, just follow. This is the last scripture we're going to read. 1 Samuel 40, verses 1 to 6, Amplified Classic. Now David and his men came home to Ziklag on the third day. They found that the Amalekites had made a raid on the south, the Negeb, and on Ziklag, and had struck Ziklag and burned it with fire, and had taken the women and all who were there, both great and small, captive. They killed no one but carried them off and went on their way. So David and his men came to the town, and behold, it was burned, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captive. Then David and the men with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinoam the Jezreelite and Abigail the widow of Nabal the Carmelite. David was greatly distressed, hopeless, for the men spoke of stoning him because the souls of them all were bitterly grieved, each man for his sons and daughters. But David... David did what? He encouraged and strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David realized, you know what? I've got the thermostat. I have cried. I have been hopeless. Now I'm going to the thermostat and begin to change some things. David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray you bring me the effort. And Abiathar brought him the effort. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? The Lord answered him, Pursue. For you shall surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. And David smote them from twilight even to the evening of the next day, and not a man of them escaped except 400 youths who rode camels and fled. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken and rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. David recovered all. What has the enemy stolen from you? The Bible says the thief come to steal, kill, and destroy. What has he taken from you? What is lost or missing in your life? The Lord wants you to be like David. You might have cried. You might have hired attorneys. You might have given money to specialists and experts. 
and you are just miserable, depressed, and you're like, man, things are not changing. David said, no, enough tears. He tears me endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. He went and encouraged himself. How did he encourage himself? He went to the scripture. He began to say something like, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in the green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you, Lord, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He begins to declare the scripture. He begins to say things like, I dwell in the secret place of the Most High God. I abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He begins to say things like, no weapon fashioned against me shall prosper. He cranked himself up. You see, the enemy doesn't want you to crank up. The enemy wants you to stay in the valley, crying. Huh. <laughs> oh, <laughs> maybe I should just kill myself. Oh, I have that gun on that. No, never, ever give up. You go into the word and you get the word and you begin to speak it. Let me tell you something. That word you're speaking is what makes the universe. It's the same word God spoke that created everything you are looking at. It came from words. That's how powerful your words is. You speak that word and you speak to your situation and things begin to happen. Brothers, get your hopes up. If there's any message, I don't know when I'm going to see you next. I pray I do. But if I don't, I want you to keep these words in your mind. Never, ever give up. Never, ever give up on hope. Always speak words of hope to your children, to your wife. Always set the thermostat where you want it to be. And don't let what you see what you feel, what the experts are saying, what the TV is saying, change what you are hoping for. You stand on the word. You don't hold anybody an, an explanation of what you're believing is between you and God. And you will see miracles, victories, recovery, reconciliation, restoration, blessings. And you'll be able to share with your children and your children's children. And one day your grandchildren will say to you, Papa, tell that story again and you will tell them and it will stoke their hope and their faith and they'll become a faith giant like you. Thank you, Aji, for another fantastic message. Here at Pops, we've had the privilege of hearing Aji speak on many different subjects. And personally, I think this was one of my favorites. So Aji mentioned 2 Corinthians 1.20 in his message. And I wanted to take that one step further before we end this podcast. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For as many promises that we've received from God, in Christ they are all answered, yes. So I thought we would share with you what those promises from God really are. God promises to strengthen you. He promises to give you rest. He promises to take care of all of your needs. Not your wants, but your needs. He promises to answer prayer. Sometimes those answers don't look exactly the way we want them to, but He will answer them. He promises to work out everything for your good. He promises to be with you, to protect you, to free you from sin, and He promises that nothing can separate Him from you. And last but not least, He promises you everlasting life. So this week I want to end with a question. Did you know that you can miss heaven by 18 inches? No, that's not a height requirement. There's not a sign at the pearly gates that says you have to be this tall to enter. 18 inches is the distance between your head and your heart. You see, your head is filled with worldly things. It's constantly influenced by social media, politics, regular media. All the negative things in society just feed into your mind. That's where the enemy lives. That's where he does his best work. But your heart, your spirit, your soul, 
through Christ is filled with faith, hope, and love. We love you all, and we'll see you next time.